0: WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com.
1: Diego Morales' nepotism issue. A top Senate Republican puts private schools on notice, plus a historic cannabis hearing and more. From the television studios at WFYI, it's Indiana Week in Review for the week ending February 17th, 2023.
2: Indiana Week in Review is made possible by the supporters of Indiana public broadcasting stations.
1: This week, a report from the Indy Star's Erica Heron revealed critics are leveling nepotism accusations against Secretary of State Diego Morales after he hired his brother-in-law to help lead a division within the office. The star story shows that Morales recently hired Sean Grady as co-director of the auto dealer services division. Grady, who previously worked as a sales consultant at a car dealership, is married to Morales' sister, Cecilia. In a statement, Indiana Democratic Party chair Mike Schmuel called the hiring an unacceptable breach of ethics and said it erodes trust in government. It does not break Indiana law. The state's nepotism code bars the hiring of a spouse, a parent or stepparent, a child or stepchild, a brother, sister, stepbrother or stepsister, a niece or nephew, aunt or uncle, and daughter in law or son in law. Is this a problem for Morales? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike O'Brien, John Schwannis, host of Indiana Lawmakers. And Caitlin Lang, Senior Investigative Reporter at State Affairs Indiana. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting State House Bureau Chief Brandon Smith. And Delaney, this isn't against the law, so what's the problem?
0: Well, it's not against the law. He found the only member of his family, apparently, that he could legally hire. So, you know, it, the problem is I remember back in state government with the question you would ask was not just was, was it ethical or was it legal, but how would it appear on the front page of the newspaper? And you go around now and you ask Hoosiers, do you think it's okay for an elected official to hire his brother-in-law at a six-figure salary at taxpayer expense, or is that nepotism? And you know what they'd say? It's nepotism. And that's poor drafting by the Indiana legislature of the statute. And, but it's, not, it's typical of Morales. I mean, <laughs> when we talked about it, the fact that he was ethically challenged and would either outright fabricate or embellish during the campaign, why would he think... Why would we think he changes stripes? He's been able to thumb his nose at the Republican Party and the voters and, and get away with it. And that's exactly what he's doing here. You know, the idea that an agency that regulates dealerships, okay, talk about a revolving door, would hire the, as one of the co regulators of that industry somebody who worked for it should also raise red flags. But they were big contributors to Morales during the campaign, so he's rewarded them and taken care of the family in the same, same breath.
1: What strikes me about this is it's not just that he hired his brother-in-law to lead a division of the office. It's that he's now created these co-director positions for that, for that, that division, which didn't previously exist. It was a single division director. Now there's two, one of which is his brother-in-law. Is anything going to happen here?
3: Well, I think Nikki cleared that up in, in the Capitol Chronicle. The Secretary of State's office clarified this isn't an addition, it's a, it's a replacement. They did, they did re- reorganize the, the, the division, but they didn't just bring him on and, and, and stick him in there. They just eliminated the, the deputy director or deputy secretary of state position in that in that office. And I think Nikki cleared that up um, after the Secretary of State clarified it. Um, but look, the guy's got, I mean, it, you can look at that two ways. You, you can look at it, he, he, he's got a resume to back it up. This isn't ghost employment. Um... You know, he's got a resume to back up the position that he's filling. Now, you can look at that and go, well, yeah, he's going to side with the dealers. But that's all over state government. That's, that's, that's a delaying on the Judiciary Committee, understanding the law. That's, that's insurance agents on the insurance committees. That's educators that. on the education committees, you know, in, in the legislature. So that is, that, that's not, a, it's not uncommon. And you can't look at that and go, well, if he had no experience in auto dealerships, You'd be hammering them for that.
0: Well, both of those positions were occupied by lawyers before because there is a lot of regulatory uh, I, uh, concepts that go with that. And the thought was that you needed two lawyers. He is not a lawyer, okay? And whatever a sales consultant is, is that a, a kind of a euphemism for a car used car salesman? Is that what that is? <laughs> I don't want, know what a sales consultant is. If you want to make it sound is. as
3: bad as you can, then sure.
0: I, I don't have to. He's <laughs> done
3: that on his own. John,
1: I want to ask this, which is it feels like maybe even five years ago this might have mattered in terms of all this attention might have prompted a change within that office is there any reason to expect that now
2: no no. i think you're right there was a time when there seemed to be much more accountability for these things if there was if a news organization one of the major news organizations in the capital city raised an issue of this sort it tended to get momentum and people watchdog groups tended to call foul or even leadership within the party uh... even though granted now nobody has He's an elect, independently an elected official. I'm not saying that that the speaker, the president pro tem, the governor, nobody can say you know change your mind. I, I'm not saying that, Maybe but you there might the a statute. have. But there also could have been people saying that's a bad idea. Maybe you could do this. I wouldn't do that. But that seems so sort of the quaint days of old. I mean, how that just doesn't get seem, a
3: reach though. I mean, how far you get a reach in a
0: in well,
2: an organization of 30,000? Well, look, there are it. people. It's like, well, you
3: can't be a cousin.
2: Well, look, there are people. Well, let's use the Kennedy. I mean, I, most people would say Robert Kennedy was probably a decent attorney general, and I know that's federal law. This is state law. There are probably are instances where a brother, a sister, a brother-in-law are eminently qualified. And, and we probably shouldn't, say, have a blanket prohibition against the hiring of, of somebody who could bring tremendous... Uh, value to the state of Indiana. Consultant. I didn't finish my right. thoughts, but this may not be one of those situations. Uh, to,
1: right. to, to the point of changing state law, we, we asked uh, Speaker Todd Houston about that yesterday, and he wanted to learn more about the issue, I think was the line.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was duck uh, and weave. As close as you can come to a non-answer, um, I mean, in fairness, he said that he, I think, hadn't read the story yet, so, uh, but I think regardless of if he had or not, I think it's pretty hard for a Republican legislature to say, hey, let's pass a new law because of something a Republican elected official made. So I think it would look like a direct targeting of Diego Morales. And at this point, we've seen, sure, he had problems during the campaign, but Republicans, by and large, at the elected level, seem to have mostly gotten behind Diego at this point. To your point,
2: though, it is a sense of impunity. I think in the old days there might have been somebody like Diego Morales who had a lot of accusations leveled against him and had a, some questionable employment history with other state agencies uh, that people could point to. They might be on sort of their best um, behavior. Best behavior. That say, is I, best I don't behavior. want to, to do anything that, that even uh, could be questioned. And that's, again, the quaint days of old. I guess that's sort of a different uh, issue now.
1: Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question. And this week's question is Is it wrong for a state elected official to hire their brother in law? A, yes, or B, no. Last week we asked you whether Indiana lawmakers should pass property tax relief that helps homeowners but hurts local government and school revenues. 25% of you said yes, 75% say no. If you'd like to take part in the poll, Go to WFYI.org IWIR and look for the poll. Well, Senate Appropriations Committee Chair Ryan Mishler issued a stern warning to private schools that receive voucher dollars after detailing experience he had with a school in his district. In an open letter to constituents, Mishler detailed allegations of bullying and mistreatment of students at a private school that receives public dollars, brought to him by parents at the school. Mishler's son also attends that institution. The Senate Republican said the concerns he and the parents raised with school leaders were dismissed and ignored. Mishler described the situation as the most disgusting he's encountered in his 20 years in the Senate. The letter says Mishler pledged to parents he would not support another dollar for Indiana's school voucher program until there are policies put in place that protect these kids from abusive behavior and mistreatment. House Speaker Todd Houston said he was disappointed in Mishler's letter.
3: I'm sorry that he may have had a bad experience, and he may extrapolated that to an entire program. Uh, is a mistake, and um, uh, you know this caucus, our caucus, remains and will continue to remain committed to providing families and parents options to send their kids a the school choice.
1: The House Republican budget is expected to include an expansion of the school voucher program. Michael Bryan, how shocking is this to hear from a Republican leader at the state house?
3: Well, I think it was a personal situation. It was. It was it was somewhat out of character for Ryan Mischler, who's a pretty reserved, really disciplined yeah. guy. Not this, not this one, disciplined, it was just um, you know, a, a personal situation that, that he's been pairing with what he really believes, which is there needs to be more accountability in charter schools. Incrementalism is important in how we do these things. We saw that last year with education savings accounts that the House Republicans proposed and put hundreds of millions of dollars behind, and he whittled it all, almost all the way back to, to nothing and just to create, just to incrementally introduce that concept. You know, to the to the to the system at large. So, you know, whatever happened, we'll probably find out more about you know if this back and forth between the, between the high school. But I don't think it was shocking. I think it was just reflective of like whatever happened to him personally, to, to his constituents, um, and 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 again, just his underlying position on on school choice and how we should move forward cautiously.
1: Um, Democrats have been saying the sort of things that Ryan Michler has been saying. What was interesting to me about this was not detailing of the personal experience he had and his constituents have. Because clearly this has been building for a period of years at this point, and he's very angry about it. And so I get kind of voicing that frustration with this experience. What was surprising to me was then to take it to the system-wide and say, this is happening to me here and these people here, and we can't let it happen anywhere. Democrats have been saying that for a long time. Do you think this is the sort of thing that can actually drive change?
0: Well, it certainly highlights the problems. When Republicans talk about choice, they they only talk about in glowing terms. You don't realize that when you go to these private institutions with tax money, you give up a lot of the protections that the state provides for public education. You give them up for students. You give them up for parents. You give them up for teachers. And you don't have the accountability. You just simply don't. They don't have to take... Children with disabilities, they can do all kinds of things that are not permitted in public schools. And it's about time somebody talked about the fact that we're putting a significant amount of state money into these institutions without those safeguards. Now, his experience may be personal, but his experience could be replicated in every I think that's single his point. one of them. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's, that's and that's the point. Uh,
1: I agree with Mike in that some of the surprise here is because of who wrote this letter. Ryan Mishler, at least publicly. If Jim is, Lucas does
3: this, or no one's, exactly. no one's going, oh, no my one's, God, No one's surprised can't believe he
1: did by. that. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Mishler, <laughs> at least in public, is a very kind of chill guy. Similarly, I want to talk about Todd Houston's response to this, because Todd Houston is another guy doesn't really get angry in public very often, at least not as Speaker of the House. And that was about as pointed a response as I've heard from him.
4: Yeah, he was very critical of Senator Mischler. I think the thing to keep in mind is the House Republicans, they want to expand school choice. This is what they're actively doing right now. Um, today we're going to hear what the, what's in the budget and we expect to see school choice dollars. So you gotta think Mischler's letter comes out, I think the same week that the House Republicans are planning to unveil their, their plans. So I think obviously Houston's probably really mad about that.
1: Ryan Mischler is just one Senator albeit a pretty powerful senator in the position he's in, in the Senate Appropriations Committee, which will take the budget over from the House, but if his caucus wants something, his caucus will will determine that. So how much can Ryan Mishler drive the debate over, I mean, whether or not to expand the voucher program or whether or not to include more accountability in the voucher program?
2: He can program. have an impact, I think, because of his standing, because it's not somebody who's leveling these kinds of concerns all the time. The fact that he is, this is out of character for him. For instance, if you were joking about Jim Lucas earlier, who is, uh, you know, say a Second Amendment absolutist, if he somehow said, you know, I have reconsidered, there's something about uh, the way that this individual acquired a gun that's troubling to me, people would notice. I mean, there's that has more impact perhaps than if he says we should have access to guns. I mean, it's out of yeah, character. That so, so that's a point. The other thing I would say is how often, it's, there's no rule, uh, formal or informal, that how many people have to uh, have a, encounter a problem before it rises to the level of legislative action. Oh, in I'm fact, kidding. in fact, I think much more common, at least in, now we see a lot of national agenda types of things. Which, but let's go back to the quaint days I talked about before. Did you still see, Did you, you still, still see, see where you said my constituent, one person had this horrible experience, and guess what? That's enough to motivate, sponsorship, authorship of a bill, and perhaps if the story is egregious enough or if there's an argument that can be made, it can even in a single session. Or even
1: even something that's not, you know, a terrible thing happened. I mean, a business business in my my district wants to be able to have people throw throwing stars at, at, its, at, its, uh, at it's, its bar, sanction. And now we're, and, and now we're now going we're to pass have a pass law.
2: law. And uh, can I just disclose at my high school pep rallies, we did have throwing stars at a dummy of the opposing team. But um, I've never before, revealed that. Before, but, that sounds before problematic. the ban
1: or after the ban?
2: I can disclose nothing more. <laughs> um, but, but it's, again, it, we have a citizen legislature, which has brings with it good and bad. But one of the supposed virtues is that they experience what all Hoosiers experience, and therefore not living in some some isolation. So if he's had a bad experience, one could could deduce that others have as well. All right, a bill to
1: decriminalize possession of small amounts of cannabis got its first ever committee hearing at the Statehouse this week, but that's as far as the issue will likely go this year. The bill is pretty simple. Having two ounces or less of cannabis would no longer be a crime for those age 21 or older. Keith Johnson is an Indiana hemp producer, he says he helps supply people, especially veterans, with medical conditions like Parkinson's and cancer, with legal products like CBD. He says he knows cannabis would help them more. I would like to see decrim happen just out of a, just a purely a position of compassion and good conscience and caring for those who served us. The Indiana Chamber of Commerce, prosecutors, and the state police opposed the bill. State Police Legal Counsel Barbara Rosenberg says there are traffic safety concerns.
4: And we are concerned that with more people using marijuana and then getting on our roads, that that will also increase fatalities and accidents on the roadway.
1: House Committee Chair Wendy McNamara said the bill will not get a vote this session. Caitlin Lang, how important a step was this for the cannabis debate?
4: This is huge. I mean, like you mentioned, there's about a dozen or so bills filed every year that either legalize marijuana or decriminalize it, and never before have any of them gotten a hearing. So it's a big first step obviously it's baby steps, but a lot of times in the legislature uh, it takes a few years to get a bill across the finish line. So it is a huge deal, but I wouldn't get too excited if you're looking to uh, have marijuana legalized in the next year or two or three because, you know, the, the leaders of both chambers have been very reluctant to legalize it before the federal level does anything, and uh, Holcomb kind of has been in that same vein. The one thing, uh, we were talking about this earlier, but it sounded like Quite a few lawmakers on the committee seem to support the idea. So it's very possible if it had come up for a vote, it would have passed the committee. But again, it has to pass the whole chamber and then the Senate. So I think we're still a very long ways off. Yeah, I mean, uh,
1: we, we at State Indiana Public Broadcasting and IPB News, we do a lot of community engagement. We have a community engagement tool where people can, can uh, email and text us questions. And we get so many people asking about cannabis and, and then this week, when they read the story, frustrated that it's not going to go any farther, it seems this year. Why doesn't that translate to action at the state house?
2: Or is this evidence that it is starting? Well, there's to no translate? doubt that, that it seems to be a potent issue. People think it is, anyway. Look at the state Democratic uh, committee a couple of years ago said it essentially made it number one, two, and three on the party's agenda, thinking, I presume, based on some sort of polling uh, or some gut sense that was fairly well-founded that that would move numbers and actually now they've backed away i think they have other issues economic and others that have sort of
3: then tom mcdermott smoked a joint on television and lost no, by twenty no, points so, so maybe so one I don't of those i don't think I don't that's, so that's, so that's, that's but I, your point
2: that's is that yes it's changed and you have groups that formerly were aligned with conservative uh... causes you have uh, veterans of the foreign wars you have uh, american legion you have a lot of folks who are seeing this as a medical issue uh... Uh, for people who are, have acquired various illnesses and, and ailments for which marijuana seems to be provide some relief. But having said all that, if, there, if you're in the camp of people who were about to get excited that Caitlin alluded to you, your best bet in the short term is to move to a county where the prosecutor has said he or she won't prosecute. Uh, I think small, I know of one. Yeah, I know yeah, of one. One. <laughs> one. You're sitting in one right now. But, it, but she's right. I mean, in the meantime, until uh, the federal government changes its policies or we have a different governor who, who's willing to sign – uh, it's not going
1: to happen. To a point John just made about this bringing together a lot of groups, more groups than you'd expect. Katie Blair, who's the policy director of the ACLU of Indiana, got up <laughs> to speak in favor of this bill uh, during the hearing. And she started with, it's not often that I get to speak sandwiched between Jim Lucas, who's already been mentioned on the show, mm, and Americans for, for Prosperity, prosperity right? on yeah, the same I issue. That, yeah. But I'm very excited about that. So I- is that kind of point to the inevitability of this?
3: Sure, it's, look, these steps are really important um, on big issues like this, and, and especially, this is in the same vein as alcohol issues, gaming issues, cannabis, right? It takes, it, it is, they are, we take cautious steps forward to do this. And, this, and I know it's, there are so many people that are just like, it's just time to do it, just go do it. It's so much money, just go do it. All the other states are making, you know, it, 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 there's another side to that story. There are real problems with the black market in 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 states that have legalized there are real social service problems and addiction problems that this exacerbates um, you know in, in other places where where this, and that costs money for every dollar we're bringing in in revenue in, in on average in these other states you're spending two three sometimes four dollars on other services criminal you know, uh, law enforcement trying to control and rein in the black market and these types of things so the legislature knows that so where the public is just saying just legalize it already it's like all right, I know you got a fridge full of gummies that you got from Illinois, but let's just slow down for a second and maybe do this the right way.
1: To that point, we heard people advocating for this bill who said, okay, decriminalization is is good and and important. We also need regulation. Is that what's going to take the most time to find? Now that it seems the ball has gotten rolling in a really serious way, is that what's going to...
0: Well, you need up? the federal government to act. I mean, that, that's where yeah. you come down. It's you absurd. have they, to have, it. have it, It's the only way you can do it. But, but this part of it, decriminalizing it, saves money. We're not going to totally. spend wasting, wasting resources prosecuting. Yep. And when you ask the question about the fact that people want it, what makes you think the supermajority cares what the voters want? I mean, look at what they did on abortion compared to what the voters said on More abortion. Guns. Look at what they're doing with guns. Look at what they're doing to public schools when 88% of the people say they're satisfied with them. So they don't really care because they're not accountable.
1: I'll say too, on the federal government. There are things the federal government could do other than just legalize it, too. Like one of the biggest obstacles even for states that have legalized is the prohibition banks. on banks. Right. Yeah, banks can't
3: reschedule it, work with a business with who sells this because it's against federal and law. And then the states
1: yeah, can go do what they want. to they do stop right. the
0: robberies yeah. and yeah, the, incredibly all of that? Frustrating.
1: Lawmakers, parents, and educators argued for hours this week over a Senate bill that would strip school librarians and teachers of a legal defense against charges that they disseminated harmful materials to minors. The legislation is a response to parents who claim that school libraries contain pornographic content. Under the bill, if a teacher or school librarian were charged with giving harmful material to a minor, they couldn't use its educational value as a legal defense. Brett Carpenter from Noble County is one of the parents who supports the measure.
3: Public schools have become the principal place of sexualizing children in our society. It's not the cell phone, it's not social media, it's the schools.
1: Opponents included librarians like Lisa guadea Carreño, director of the Elkhart Public Library.
0: To always equate child abuse, grooming, and pedophilia with books that some parents find objectionable or disf- distasteful is a false equivalency and a deeply misleading narrative.
1: The bill now moves to the full Senate. John, uh, you've had kids in in K-12 schools relatively recently. Is porn rampant in
0: our schools? Everywhere. Everywhere. Not
2: that I've seen. As far as I know, the the, uh, shelves full of uh, National Geographic uh, editions are still uh, gathering dust. I I mean, that was, I guess, constituted porn back in a a simpler time. But no, I don't think so. Of course not, is the answer. Uh, And even if there is, could I find some case? Could somebody go out and pull something off shelf? Absolutely, I'm sure they could. But as I've said before, and I presume this is why you're asking me the question, because I sort of throw aside any sort of impartiality on First Amendment issues. uh, I am something approximating an absolutist. We're talking about public institutions where there is no agreed-upon agenda. There are people for whom guns, uh, books on guns uh, would be...
4: They don't want their kids around, and that's
2: harmful to a young person, perhaps. There are people... Uh, whose religion would suggest that certain types of modern medicine and interventions are not in, in uh, compatible with their religious beliefs? So would a some sort of book on what happened if you want to be a doctor or a nurse, and these are the procedures you might do th- that runs afoul of somebody's religious uh, beliefs? And of course, we get the classic example: What about a a, a book that shows? You know, the male or female anatomy. I mean, do you rip those pages out of of uh, the encyclopedia well, I guess there are no Encyclopedia Britannicas anymore, but whatever the modern equivalent is of that. So my point is this: it's if your, your telephone. It's your this, 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 <laughs> <is>, this, <is laughs> this is my question. Private, your if you're a private pocket school, pocket let me just school. say this: <laughs> if you're a private school and you want to have a one-book library and that's the Quran, the Bible, a Wiccan <laughs> customs ritual guide, that's your prerogative. But if you're a publicly funded institution, I'm sorry, it's called, it's public for reason and. No. I think I Not if you get out. So vouchers. I'm not sure how I am not, so I'm if not if sure how. I, this is but.
1: this is my thing. I I I listened I was actually waiting to talk to the chairman of this committee after the committee was over. So I listened to this bill more than I maybe wanted to. <laughs> Listening to the people who were saying that you know there's porn in all of our schools. Have do they know what the internet is? <laughs> Isn't that the problem which schools really have no control over?
4: Yeah, definitely. And, and you think, um, you know, all these children are doing their homework online these days. Like, they're getting access to it elsewhere. There's no question about that. Everybody has text. Like, that's a whole other can of worms that you could get into. I'm not but, worried
3: about it, the literature in my kid's school. No,
4: right. Well, <laughs> been, I'm I mean, worried really about not, like, what, what it, he's
3: doing yeah. on his phone. If
1: you are worried about a book in your, schools, in your child's school, why don't you just go
0: to the school? Exactly. Or look what, at a, backpack what about see their what books their parental responsibility? Out we talk about that all the time. If you don't like what your child's reading, tell the child not to read it. Tell the teacher that you, won't, you don't want them to be able to check it out. But the problem with this is we are not going to get into the Fifty years ago we dealt with this, and that's why there's immunity on this. Are we going to have censors that are going to say what's objectionable? Are we going to go in there and have everybody sit down and read every new book that comes out to see if it's objectionable or not? This is ludicrous. It's absolutely If you turn ludicrous.
2: on a late radio, you're going to hear lyrics that are far more explicit well, than anything no, you'd find more, in a public more than that, library.
1: We just talked last week about that Department of Education poll where – it's a very small minority of people, at least in that poll, Right, they're controlling who are the agenda. Angry. Is this that sort of case oh, yeah. where it's a very, very, very tiny group of people who are very, very, very loud? And oh, angry. yeah.
3: And, and Matt Pearson, in one of his more poignant moments last year, was, was testifying on, or was speaking on the House floor about a Mike Speedy bill, which he has back, which is a sex shop. Unfortunately.
2: Okay, I got to so end on that? that. I'm gonna hear <laughs> a guy. Sorry, sorry about that, Mike. That's, that's
1: Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike O'Brien, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and Caitlin Lang of State Affairs Indiana. You can find Indiana Week in Review's podcast and episodes at wfyi.org slash iwir or on the PBS video app. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time because a lot can happen in an Indiana week.
2: The opinions expressed are solely those of the panelists. Indiana Week in Review is a WFYI production in association with Indiana's public broadcasting stations.